In Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, we are given one of the most glorious pictures of Jesus in all of Scripture. John has been weeping because it seems like no one is able to open the scroll and break its seals. No one is able to unleash God's salvation upon his creation. But just at the height of his sorrow, one of the elders turns to John and says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is the one who can unleash God's salvation, the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. What majesty is revealed in Revelation chapter five. What glory. But also maybe there are some questions. Questions surrounding specifically the titles that are assigned to Jesus. Now the root of David makes a lot of sense. That's fairly easy to understand. David was a great king. He was a man after God's own heart. The connection seems pretty obvious to Jesus being the greater David. But there's another title that's given here to Jesus. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. And that one may be harder for us to understand, especially in light of a series that we are currently in, looking at the life of Joseph. Why is Jesus associated with the tribe of Judah? Why is he the lion of the tribe of Judah? Why isn't he the seed of the tribe of Joseph? That would seem to make the most sense as we've been reading through the book of Genesis. Genesis has focused a lot on Joseph, and yet at the end of Genesis, Judah seems to be the one that leads to Jesus. Well, if you've ever asked this question, today you are in luck because we're gonna attempt to find out that answer today. The choice of Judah is surprising. And it's meant to be surprising as we will see in our text today because God wants to teach us something about his salvation, the salvation he will offer through the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he wants to teach it to us even from the book of Genesis. Here's our main point from our text this morning. God's surprising choice of Judah is meant to teach us something about the surprising nature of his salvation. His surprising choice of Judah is meant to teach us something about the surprising salvation he offers to us in Jesus. As we turn this morning to Genesis 49, Jacob and his family have settled in Goshen, prime real estate in Egypt. The sons of Jacob did exactly what Joseph asked of them. They returned home. They told their father all that took place. They told their father about Joseph's status and the favor he had found in Egypt. And they brought the whole family back to Egypt for what I'm sure was an incredible family reunion. And as Jacob nears the end of his life, he begins to offer blessings. It's a normal thing for patriarchs in this culture at this time to do. In Genesis 48, he offers blessings to the sons of Joseph. And in Genesis 49, he begins to offer blessings to his own sons. But something interesting happens as Jacob offers these blessings. 
the ultimate blessing, the one that establishes who the leader of the family will be when Jacob passes away, it doesn't go to the one you'd expect. That ultimate blessing doesn't go to Joseph, even though it seems like the whole story has been leading to this point. No, God has something different in mind. Rather than blessing Joseph, who was the favorite, or even blessing Reuben, who was the firstborn, Jacob offers the greatest blessing to Judah. Look at verses 1 to 27 of Genesis 49. Jacob called his sons, Gather yourselves together that I might tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble, listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to your father, Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power, but also unstable as water. You will not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. You defiled it. You went up to my couch. Simeon, Levi, your brothers, weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger, they killed men. and their willingness, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it's fierce. Their wrath, for it's cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in white, his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good, the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear. And became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels. So that the rider falls backwards. I will wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders will raid Gad, but he shall raid their heels. Asher's food will be rich. He shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him. They shot at him, harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the mighty hands of the mighty one of Jacob. For there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessing to the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, and the morning devouring the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. It's true that Joseph receives a great blessing, but Judah receives the greater blessing. And this is surprising, not just because he's not the firstborn, 
And not just because he's not the favorite, but because of his story. Because of his story. Listen, Reuben, Simon, and Levi were all disqualified in Jacob's eyes from serving as the leader of this family because of their sin. Reuben defiled his father's bed. You can read about that in Genesis 35. Simeon and Levi, as we mentioned, had violent tempers and they brought reproach upon their family. And if you knew the story of Judah, you would think that disqualification would continue as Jacob moves to Judah. The author of Genesis spends a whole chapter, Genesis 38, recounting the bad deeds, the missteps, which may be a generous word, of Judah. Let's look at there, Genesis 38, because this chapter puts Judah under a microscope. In fact, it feels out of place. If you're reading through the book of Genesis, it feels out of place to have this this story of Judah stuck seemingly into the story of Joseph. And yet we know there is purpose to its inclusion. There are all kinds of textual parallels teaching us, telling us that this belongs here and that God wants to bring something out with the story of Judah. Genesis 38 begins right after Joseph is sold into slavery. It's likely that Judah's about three years older than Joseph. He's probably about 20 years old at the beginning of Genesis 38. And as Joseph is being taken down to Egypt by force, Judah willingly goes down to the land of Canaan to get up to no good. He's there with his friend Hurrah, and he sees a Canaanite woman, and he marries her. And this is problematic in the book of Genesis because marrying a Canaanite woman was frowned upon, but he did it anyway. He was impetuous. He, he made rash decisions. Remember, he's the one who suggested that Joseph be sold into slavery for the profit of the brothers. He marries this woman. She gives birth to him, three sons, Er, Onan, and Shelah. Now, in verse six of chapter 38, we jump forward 20 years. And the firstborn heir is given a wife whom we know is named Tamar. But heir was evil. It seems that heir erred a lot, that he wasn't the heir that Judah had hoped for. But maybe the heir he deserved. No, not more for that? Okay, that's fine. I was pretty pleased with it, that's okay. And because heir and tame, uh, he was wicked. And because of that, the Lord kills him, puts him to death before he and Tamar can have a child. And because they didn't have a child, according to the custom of the day, it was Ayer's brother responsibility to give her a child so that she could have an heir that would take the inheritance of Ayer. But Onan didn't want to do that because he didn't want to split up any more of his father's inheritance. He didn't want to have a son with Tamar that would be given a third of the inheritance, some of it away from him. And so he tries to deceive his father. He doesn't do what he's asked to do. And even though he's successful in deceiving his father, he could not deceive the Lord and the Lord killed him as well. So now there's only one son left, Shelah, and he's too young to marry. And also Judah's getting a little bit suspicious of Tamar. All my sons go to Tamar, they end up dead. And he fears that if he gives Shelah to Tamar, that he might die as well. He thinks the fault of the death of Aaron Onan may be hers, even though it's clear from scripture that it's their fault, their wickedness that brings about their death. 
So Judah tells Tamar to go and live as a widow in the house of her father until Shelah is old enough to marry, even though it seems like he never has any intention about giving his youngest son to her. So Tamar would likely have been left destitute. Widows at this time were among the poorest in society. And when Shelah becomes old enough to marry Judah, or to marry, and Judah does not give Tamar Shelah, Tamar develops a plan. She puts herself in a position to seduce Judah so that he gives her an heir and she succeeds. Now, Judah doesn't know it's Tamar, but she does something really smart. She takes some identifying markers of Judah as a guarantee of payment to use later in her defense. And that's important because when she's found to be pregnant and accused of being immoral, she uses these signs, these signets, to show who the actual victim is in this story. Look at verses 24 to 30 of Genesis 38. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. She's pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these things belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet, the cord, the staff. Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to, to my son, Shelah. And he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one has come out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, what a breach you've made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zerah. This, chapter 38, Judah, is the guy who receives the greater blessing. He could not be more different than Joseph. Joseph was a faithful son while Judah was unfaithful over and over again. Joseph was dragged out of the land of promise while Judah went out willingly. Jo uh, Joseph sacrificed for the good of his family. Judah sold his brother for his own good. Joseph was uh, strong in the face of sexual temptation while Judah fell victim to his temptation. We could go on and on looking at the differences between these two men, these two brothers. And yet, although it makes sense in our mind for Joseph to be the one, Judah is the one who receives the blessing. Now listen, we do see some change in Judah's life. We've talked about it a little bit. It seems like this ordeal with Tamar gets his attention because it would have happened right around the same time that, that Judah goes down to Egypt. It seems like through this episode with Tamar that, jo that Judah realizes the seriousness, the selfishness, and the consequences in his life of that selfishness. He sees the effect of his manipulation on others and that brings about some sort of change, which is probably why he makes the promise that he does to his father in Genesis 43 and acts on it in Genesis 44 when he offers himself as a guarantee for his brother, Benjamin. But I think there's more to this blessing than just the, the little change we've seen in Judah's life. It's not just that Jacob is choosing Judah, 
The Bible makes it very clear. God is the one who is choosing Judah. God is the one who's establishing Judah as the line through which his covenant promises will be realized. He is to be the son through whom the greater son of promise will come. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back to this original question that we asked from Revelation chapter 5. Why? Why would God choose Judah and not Joseph? Now, we can't pretend to know the mind of God in all things, but we do know that God often chooses surprising people on purpose. He chooses surprising people to unveil his glory. And I believe that in choosing Judah, God is offering us a window into the nature of the salvation that Jesus Christ will unleash. The nature of the blessing that our Heavenly Father will pour out upon us in Christ. So what I want to do is consider four truths about the salvation that we have experienced in Christ that are foreshadowed, that we are able to see in the story of Judah, in the choosing of Judah. Because I think God is giving us a wealth of depth in understanding what he is doing for us in Jesus through the choosing of Judah. Four biblical truths. Here's the first. Salvation is not a birthright. One of the things that God wants us to know about the salvation he will unleash upon the nations through Christ as the lion of the tribe of Judah is that our salvation is not a birthright. The, the normal idea of birthright is challenged all throughout this passage. The, the idea of getting what we deserve. Even though Judah receives the blessing. In our minds, in the minds of people around him, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, maybe even Joseph had a claim on this blessing before him, but they were all disqualified because of their sin. And here's what we need to recognize, church family. Salvation is not something we deserve. We are not entitled to salvation. In fact, we have disqualified ourselves from receiving the blessing of our Heavenly Father because of our sin. Apart from Christ, we are selfish, sexually, sexually immoral, violent, vengeful, murderous. We betray our brothers and sisters for our advantage. Worse, we betrayed our God. Everything that was said about these brothers that led to their disqualification could be said of us. In fact, the only thing we deserve, our actual birthright, is death. We're like the sons of Judah. We're wicked in the eyes of the Lord, and he rightfully could knock us dead right now. That's, that's our inheritance, death. And we... We need to recognize that we do not deserve salvation. It is not an inheritance. And that's why it's, it's dangerous sometimes when we're asked, why are we Christians? Why are we followers of Christ to give answers like this? Well, I've always been a Christian. Or I'm a Christian because my parents were Christians. We are a Christian family, therefore I am a Christian. I want you to hear me this morning say it very clearly. The Bible says, without a doubt, that salvation is needed 
because we are sinners. Salvation is needed because our inheritance is death and it cannot be given or earned by men. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the only way, the only way for us to be truly Christians, the only way to follow Christ is to be in Christ through the evidencing work of the Spirit in repentance and belief. It's not a birthright. No. Secondly, salvation is an act of grace. We don't deserve salvation, but God has freely given it as an act of grace. Salvation is a display of God's unmerited favor. It is a gift of blessing freely given from our Father. Now, I want us to see how this aspect of salvation is developed through the story of Judah. One of the most surprising developments in this section of Genesis is the number of younger sons that receive the blessing of their father. It's true here in Genesis 49. It's also true in the chapter directly preceding this when Jacob is blessing the sons of Joseph because he offers the greater blessing to Ephraim instead of Manasseh. It's also true in Jacob's story because he tricked his father into giving him the greater blessing. And here's what the Bible is showing us. Blessing comes from the Lord, period. Salvation comes from the Lord, period. The father freely chooses who to bless. And everyone that God desires to bless is blessed. This is the truth that is echoed throughout Scripture. And Paul expands on this idea, this biblical idea about the nature of salvation in Romans chapter 9. In Romans 9, Paul is answering a question about the effectiveness of God's word. People have been asking the question, has, God words, has God, God's word failed because not all of the Jewish people were saved? In fact, many of the Jewish people rejected the Messiah. There's only a remnant. Why weren't they all saved? Is that a failure of God's word? And here's how Paul answers that question in verses 6 to 16. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel actually belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham just because they are his offspring. It's not inheritance. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not born and though they had not done anything, either good or bad, in order, that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the, other, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. The scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in the earth. 
So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills. He hardens whomever he wills. God has shown us, as his people, mercy as an act of grace. Not because any of us deserved it. No, we deserved something far different. We didn't deserve salvation because of where we were born or whom we were born to. We have salvation because our Father has freely given it. Again, The ones he desires to bless, he will bless. And he bestows these blessings freely. He's constantly acting to show us, to surprise us, to remind us that his gracious ways are higher than ours. Church family, may we never take for granted the grace that God has shown us in salvation. May we never take for granted the rich blessings our Father has spoken over us in Christ. If you are in Jesus, if you have salvation, it is only because of the grace of our Father. It's not an inheritance. It's not a birthright. It's an act of grace that comes, thirdly, the third truth about our salvation, through sacrifice. Another aspect, I think, of God's choice of Judah has to do with the way that Judah positions himself at the end of Joseph's story. Let's look again at this this moment of truth where Judah puts himself on the line for his brother. You may remember that Joseph had set up a test, and in this test, he placed Benjamin in the same position that Joseph was in all those years ago. And in a stunning turn of events, the very one, the very one who suggested that Joseph be sold, Judah, is now the one offering himself as a substitute for his brother. It's a stunning change, all because of a promise that he made to his father. In chapter 43, verses 8 and 9, Judah said to Israel, Send the boy Benjamin with me, and we will arise and we will go, that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones, I, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I don't bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me, let me bear the blame forever. And in that moment of truth, when it's becoming dangerously close to the fact that Benjamin's gonna be left behind and the brothers are gonna be sent home, Judah offers himself in Benjamin's place. And what a picture of Jesus that is. All those chapters before Christ ever comes in his incarnate form. God is showing us here through Judah the kind of leader, the kind of king that he desires for his people, and the kind of king that Jesus will be. Think about the picture of Jesus that's painted here through Judah. Here's how David Mathis, an author and pastor, wrote about it. The reason we can have hope despite our glaring flaws and the reason we can step forward in joy to gladly sacrifice self for the good of others is because we ourselves have a pledge of safety for us. There's only one king, only one man who is the perfect embodiment of Judah's legacy, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Picture this, Jesus himself turning to his father in eternity past and saying about us, I will be a pledge for their safety. Father, I will not come back without them and I will bear the blame for them. Isn't that incredible? 
Isn't that incredible? The picture that God has given us of what Jesus will do for us through Judah. I hope you see here the the sacrifice of Jesus echoed through the sacrifice of Judah. Because God is giving us this picture to help us understand, to, to mind the depths of the glory of the sacrifice that he has given in Christ. And then finally, the fourth biblical truth that I think we learn from Judah's story about the the nature of Christ's salvation that he will unleash upon creation is that it is for all kinds of people. It's not a birthright. It's an act of grace that comes with enormous sacrifice. And it is for all kinds of people. I don't think it's an accident that Judah and his lineage are chosen by God and blessed by Jacob. That the seed of promise, the seed that will lead to the true son of promise is from the son of Jacob, Judah, and a Canaanite woman named Tamar. Tamar, she gives birth to two boys who represent everybody. They are both Jew and Gentile, Perez and Zerah. And it just so happens that in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, in the genealogy of Jesus, we find Perez's name. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. And Judah is the father of Perez by Tamar, who's the father of Hezron. And that goes all the way to Jesus. Now, you may remember from our study in the Gospel of Matthew, the significance of this genealogy that is filled with broken people and with all kinds of people. From the beginning, Matthew wants us to know, and I think from the beginning of the Bible, God wants us to know that the salvation that God will bring about in Jesus is for the broken and it's for everybody. It's for the nations. From the beginning, God has had in mind a blessing for all nations. And while it may come and did come through the seed of Abraham, all nations were to be blessed through that seed. All kinds of people from every tribe, every tongue would be called to God in Christ to join together in unity to worship our creator as we were created. That's why we're passionate about global missions here at Bailey Baptist Church. We wanna have the kind of heart that God has for the nations, the kind of heart that has been revealed on every page of the Bible. God's desire is for all to be saved. And the sacrifice of Jesus can cover anyone's sins. And we want every corner of the earth to know what God has done in Jesus. We want every corner of the earth to know the kind of love that God has displayed in Christ. And so we go. We go to our state, we go to our country, we go to Canada, we go to the UK, we go to Thailand, we go to Kenya, we go to Ethiopia and beyond because the nations have always been a part of God's plan. And hear me, church, If we are to be faithful to the great commission, we must go to the nations for the glory of God. What a salvation that God has unleashed in Jesus. A salvation that he had in mind from the beginning. And the story of Judah is the proof. He has authored a surprising salvation, not one we deserved, No, our inheritance was death. 
but an incredible act of grace and through enormous sacrifice, our Father has unleashed the blessing of heaven upon his people in Christ. And his desire is for the nations, the nations to hear about this blessing and to join us in worshiping him. How can we respond this morning to this incredible story of Judah First, let me ask you the question, are you a Christian? If somebody were to ask you that question, how would you answer? Would you say, well, because I just grew up in the church? Or my mom and dad are are Christians, so I'm a Christian? I hope you've heard this morning the testimony from Scripture that that answer is not enough. It's not enough. You need something more. The Bible makes it clear that you must repent and believe in Jesus in order to be saved. And so would you hear the gospel picture that is painted from the story of Judah this morning? Picture yourself as Benjamin being trapped, left, not knowing if you'd ever be able to get back to your father who created you and loves you. And hear your older brother in the faith the line of the tribe of Judah, declare, no, you can go back to the Father. I will take your place. Have you ever stepped into that sacrifice? Have you ever allowed Jesus to take your place so that you can go back to the land of promise, so that you can go back to your Father in heaven? If you haven't, then let today be the day of your salvation. Repent and believe in Jesus. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to encourage you, talk with you, if you feel the the Holy Spirit moving in your life that way. If you are a Christian, would you celebrate this morning God's grace to you? You did not earn your salvation You did not deserve your salvation. No human being could give you salvation. No God has freely given it, even though it's costly. He's the only one who could give us the blessings we have received in Christ. May we never get over the grace God has shown us in Jesus. And then also, would you pray for the nations? Would you pray that God would continue to make his gospel known to the ends of the earth? There are millions and millions of people who do not know Jesus. And the heart of our God is for them to know him. And he has asked, called, commanded, commissioned us to be the instruments of gospel declaration. Would you pray that God would make himself great among the nations and that he would use us to that end as a people. I can't think of a better prayer for us to pray that the, and that the world would behold the lion of the tribe of Judah and join us in worshiping him. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond 
to the preached word. Do you know Christ? If not, come talk to us. We want to pray with you. Help you to step into the blessing that our Heavenly Father desires to pour out upon you in Jesus. And if you do know him, can we just sit for a moment and marvel at the grace of God in Christ? My guess is all of us in this room have a Genesis chapter 38 in our life. Now it may not be as scandalous as Judas, but if people were to read that chapter of our life, my guess is they would be surprised that God would save us that God would call us to himself. And yet he has. As an act of marvelous grace that came with great sacrifice, may we rejoice today, marvel at God's amazing grace. And ask God to use us to help our city, county, state, nation, continent, globe come to see what he has revealed to us, that Jesus is the only way to salvation and that God is the only one worthy of our worship. Father, would you help us Respond in a way that brings you glory. May we be a more faithful people because of our time before your word today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. And it's his name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.